Open up your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 2. The series is called, Let's Go Change the World. And today the sermon is called, The Greatest Explosion in Human History. The year was 1961. The location was northern Russia. The objective? To detonate the world's largest nuclear bomb ever tested. There they detonated a 50 megaton nuclear bomb. An explosion equivalent of all the bombs dropped in World War II times 10. One explosion. They called it the Tsar bomb, the king of bombs. It was and is the largest man-made explosion in human history. But it's not the biggest. Today, we will witness all the power of heaven unleashed on earth when the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. The explosion we're going to learn about today makes the Tsar bomb look like a firecracker. I hope to, to come close to conveying to you the sheer magnitude of what happened in this biblical event. But I know I'm going to fall far short of capturing it all. When all the power of heaven was poured out on earth and unleashed like never before, the church was born. And in this event, you and I, we are going to learn where real power to change the world truly comes from. We are going to be able to become bold witnesses for our risen Savior. That's where we're going today. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you would so impact our world through this event we are going to learn about today, that every moment from that moment on would feel the shock waves, the ripples, the aftershock of what happened in Jerusalem. We cannot fathom all that changed when you poured your Spirit out upon earth. The lives that were changed, the countries, O oh Lord, that were transformed, the churches that were born, the Bible books that were written, we, we cannot capture the power that fell. But give us, O oh Lord, eyes to behold the glory that we are witnessing in this chapter. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Now, if you miss a sermon, find it on the app or find it online, because if you miss a sermon, you miss a lot. Here we are in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 1 was getting the team ready. They had to replace Judas. They had to, you know, they had to wait, 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 Jesus said, because there's going to be a power poured out on you. So in Acts chapter 2, it says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. These are the disciples, the 12 and probably like the 120 um, they're, they're meeting. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? 
And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they're filled with new wine. This is Pentecost. There's four questions that we are going to ask today. The first one you can write down is this. What's the historical and cultural background? What is going on? A lot of words here you might not recognize. What's the cultural background? What's the biblical background? Let's set the stage. Okay, it says that Pentecost arrived, and um, all the people, Jews and, and proselytes, converts, came from all over the Roman Empire. So here's a picture of the Roman Empire. These, uh, these areas that are named are from all around the Roman Empire. That arrow, that yellow arrow, is where this happened in, in Israel, in Jerusalem. And all around, he was naming these different people groups, these different places where Jews had settled communities. It went kind of all around the Roman Empire, and it would include today Iraq, Iran, Turkey, Egypt, Italy. So he's naming where people came from. So, and then it says that they're hearing their own languages. This is a miracle of speaking in tongues, and in this passage it means other known languages. Okay, so it would be like, bam, you know Japanese, which would be pretty awesome. If that was just the only thing that happened, like I just learned French. I'd be like, this is a good day. But that was a sign that conveyed something much greater than just, you know, I, like I took two years of, of Spanish in high school, okay, and I, I still don't know any of it, okay. I, I can say a very few words. Um, maybe you took a, a language, uh, but I didn't learn much. So if I learned the whole language in a second, that would be a miracle, and there are many languages here learned in an instant and learned by Galileans. Now, I wish there was a word that could convey to you today how people felt about the Galileans. Oh, wait, there is. I'd, I'd probably liken it to like being a hillbilly, those country folk, those guys who are not very well educated, they, the Galilee, so they didn't go to school and learn these languages, all right? It was like, howdy, and then Japanese, all right? It'd be like if that's what happened today. Like, clearly school didn't do that, all right? It, 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 and, and some people were so, like, spooked by it, they're like, I bet it's the moonshine. They've been drinking before noon. That's, I, I imagine, like, in my mind, sometimes I cast characters playing the part of people in the Bible. And honestly, for me, Peter is, like, played by uh, my childhood wrestling hero, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Okay, I always carried a two-by-four and an American flag. Like, that kind of person is now speaking a language that they never studied. This is the historical and cultural background. Jot this down. What's Pentecost? What's Pentecost? It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. It's one of the feasts of Israel, so there are like three harvest feasts, festivals. This one was in the middle. And basically, it means it's party time. 
a national gathering where everybody from the country came to the capital and had a, a feast. They lasted days, if not weeks. So think of holiday. Think of like holiday, lots of eating, family, and then the historical significance of it all. Uh, we know holidays, right? I was at Menards yesterday. They already have their Christmas stuff out. I walked out. I was like, no, I'm not going to do this. All right, Thanksgiving hasn't even happened yet, and you've got inflatable Santa floating in the aisle. So holidays, you know holidays, right? This is basically Pentecost is like a holiday, and they were coming together from the, the whole world, coming together for this festival in Jerusalem. So basically Pentecost, gather all of your holiday files, and they probably have little decorations out. That's what's going on. So Pentecost would happen, it gets its name from 50, 50 days from the Sabbath after Passover. You know what Passover was, right? When the Israelites were trapped in slavery in Egypt, they had to put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. God's wrath came and, and judged the Egyptians, and then boom, Moses led the people out. Uh, so Passover happened, the rescue, and then 50 days after the Sabbath following came Pentecost, and um, so it's, it's a harvest festival. You need to know that too. So the first fruits of your field, largely agricultural community, your field worked, you have food, happy day. You bring like the first of it to town to, to give to the Lord to show your appreciation, your worship, and you're all coming together to do that. Food's obviously an important part of life. So Pentecost, party time, national holiday, 50 days after Sabbath, Passover, harvest festival, that's what Pentecost is. Can you place yourself there? Can you imagine the feeling like people from all over the people from Rome are here? Like it's a really exciting time in the capital of Israel. Jot this down. What Old Testament events matter here? What Old Testament events matter here? There are so many convergences in this event uh, that we have to be aware of to fully gauge the depth of what's going on. And here's the Old Testament events that matter here. To begin with, it's a harvest festival. That is tied to the fact that God promised Noah that he would not judge the world again. Seed time and harvest would continue. So there is some tether to the covenant God made with Noah when they are celebrating the harvest. It was only years after this event happened that the rabbis began to formally say that, but it's a very easy connection to make. God made a covenant with Noah. Here's a picture of one person's rendition of, of Noah offering a sacrifice after the ark. The ark's up there on the, you know, the hill, and boom! And God makes a covenant with Noah and says, seed time and harvest will continue. Um, a covenant is a binding promise. It used to be like a peace treaty in the ancient world, but it's good to think of it as a binding promise. And in the New Testament, the new covenant is like a, a marriage covenant. It's like a, an abiding promise that you have made where you're committed by covenant to a relationship. So God made a covenant with Noah. And this is important because when you see the disciples in chapter 2 coming together, these are like a first fruits of salvation. They're called in the New Testament the first fruits of, of, of salvation. So spiritually speaking, this is God doing what he's promised, and there's a harvest of souls. It's tied into that idea of a harvest festival. 
All right, now this is also reminiscent of the Tower of Babel. Here's, uh, this is actually a Ukrainian artist's uh, picture of the Tower of Babel. I love it. And so I, I, uh, I used this one. Imagine the world early on, like you're talking like Genesis 11, I think it is. You're like really early on, after the flood, trying to build up a tower from, from earth to heaven. And what God did was he came down and saw that man in his pride was trying to become like God. And so he confused the languages of the people so they could no longer coordinate and communicate, and the tower fell apart. And they were scattered, and all the nations were um, created because of the language barrier. Now, what's happening at Pentecost here is reminiscent of Babel. In Genesis, the languages were confused and the nations were scattered as an act of judgment and, this is important, as a preservative so that man couldn't unify against God and trigger another global judgment. So it was both judgment, but it was also mercy. It was a preservative. Now, the people from all the nations are being gathered again. And suddenly, miraculously, these other languages are given to them. And there was in Genesis a list of nations also leading up to that account of Babel. So it's a clear parallel. And it's not like Babel is being reversed. It's actually being repeated. The, the, it's not that everyone suddenly in the whole world spoke one language again. It's, again, multiple, language, multiple languages were given. So it's a repeat of that event, which shows you that it was the Holy Spirit in Genesis that did that. And now, instead of giving those languages to drive the world apart, it's giving these languages to bring them together. And we'll see shortly that instead of Man on earth building a giant temple that, or a giant tower that reaches up to heaven. Heaven has come down and now a temple is being built on earth. It's an amazing thought that goes back thousands of years. So it's reminiscent of Noah. It's reminiscent of the Tower of Babel, clearly. And it also um, coincides with the time that Israel arrived at Sinai. So here's a picture of Sinai. Moses led the Israelites out. And, you know, about 40 plus days after, uh, you know, Passover, they arrived at Sinai where, they, where, where uh, Moses was going to become the covenant giver uh, to the people of God. Here's a picture of Moses who encountered God in the burning bush. Uh, we've got that picture. Moses encountered God in the burning bush. Go rescue my people. They came out. Uh, and then at Sinai they appeared, and actually archaeologists found a picture of Moses with the Ten Commandments. Do you believe it? It's, it's amazing. Check it out. Here's a picture of Moses with the Ten Commandments. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It, like the, the find of the century. There it is. So Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments, and um, it just coincides timing-wise with arriving at Sinai, where a new redeemed people of God would be given a new covenant and a law. That ties to what's happening here. Because it's, uh, it's about that same period after Jesus died on the cross and rose again. And he said, I'm going to initiate a new covenant in my blood. That's like the new Passover. Then we're at this point where the new covenant is going to be written on the hearts of God's people. Just like Moses gave them the law written on stone. 
I hope you can see how amazing and deep this event is. What's the historical cultural background? Well, we know what Pentecost is now, National Party and Harvest Festival. What, what Old Testament events matter here? Well, it's kind of, we're remembering the covenant with Noah and the Tower of Babel, and, and even it coincides with what was going on at Sinai. Jot this down. What prophecies were coming true? What prophecies were coming true? The Bible was coming to life. The Old Testament was coming to life. And of course, they didn't have any New Testament written yet. Okay, when, when they're here in Jerusalem, nobody has written anything yet. So the Old Testament is really what they're drawing from. Prophecies were God's way of foretelling the future. And God's plan is unfolding here. There, in the Old Testament, was the prediction of a new covenant, which involved a new people, a new power, and a new mission to the ends of the earth. In Isaiah 32 and 44, he talks about God pouring out his spirit in a special way. It's important when you read your Bible to know there's a concept called telescoping, where there's a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment, almost like a mountain in the foreground and a mountain in the background. And so when God speaks of pouring out his spirit, there is the time here, but there is another time coming in the end that hasn't happened yet. But it's happening here. And in Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27, we'll put that on the screen, it says this, God says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This was a prophecy by Ezekiel hundreds of years before Christ about how God was going to give his spirit in the heart in a new way that didn't happen in the Old Testament to all of God's people. In Jeremiah 31, 33, it says this, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. This is the new covenant he's talking about. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So Moses, you know, gave a covenant on stone. It was law. You couldn't even go up on the mountain or you'd die. It was temporary, and it was leading us to the new covenant where the law of God would be written on our hearts through the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God would come within us, within all of us. It was a wonderful prophecy, and it's coming true. Okay, so that's the historical cultural background. Number two, jot this down, who is the Holy Spirit? If it, if it says here that the Holy Spirit is what fell, in verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, then who is the Holy Spirit? So I don't know about you, I was raised Catholic, so, you know, we'd always go like this, right? Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So for me growing up, all I knew was the Holy Spirit was this one. That's all I knew. This, this one was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I didn't know what the Holy Spirit was. I just knew you had to say it when you did one of these. When the athletes scored a touchdown, the Holy Spirit was somehow involved. I didn't know how. You know, I, I, I didn't get it, but I just knew that there was a Holy Spirit. Maybe you don't really know much about the Holy Spirit. Very active in the Old Testament. Shows up in, uh, in Genesis, in creation. And um, it's important to know the word for spirit is the same uh, that's involved with wind and breath. And that's why the wind coming from heaven here is tying into the spirit. In the Old Testament, it, it mentions the spirit overseeing creation in Genesis and Exodus. Craftsmen were building the tabernacle, which was the place of God's 
presence uh, and dwelling before the temple, and the Holy Spirit was in energizing the work of building a place for God's presence. In Numbers, 70 elders prophesy, and somebody started saying to Moses, like, stop them! And Moses like, I wish everybody, everybody had the Spirit in them. Moses longed for that. In the book of Judges, deliverers like Samson and Gideon had the Holy Spirit and got super strength and achieved great victory, but the Spirit would come like Samson. It would come and it would go. Which is why David prayed, after the Spirit went from Saul to him, David prayed, take not your spirit from me. He knew that that indwelling was temporary. So in the Old Testament, there was never a permanent indwelling of God's Spirit in all of God's people. It hadn't happened. So this was going to be a new thing that God did, a new power that was residing on earth within the hearts of his people. And it's important to know this, jot this down, he is the third person of the Trinity. The Spirit is a person, one God in three persons. God is one and God is three, the triune God. So the Spirit is the divine presence. How do we know that? Well, there are several reasons, but the images here given, the sound like a mighty rushing wind, and also the divided tongues as of fire, uh, the utterances uh, miraculously of the works of God in other languages was a sign. This all represents the divine presence on earth, fire, the wind. There's many, many times like when Moses was talking to the burning bush or the pillar of cloud and fire with Israel in the wilderness, fire and, and wind uh, and even the word are all evidences of God's presence. So this is God. Well, what does he do? Uh, well, he's the one who allows you to be born again. He baptizes you into the body of Christ and unites you with other believers. He seals you by, by the promise of God for salvation. He inspires the scripture so that the word of God can be read and understood. He illuminates the message so that we can know how it applies to our lives. He comforts us, groans on our behalf in intercession when we can't find words. We can grieve him. He grieves when we sin. He convicts us of sin to sanctify us. He directs us to be conformed and sanctified into the image of Christ. And he fills us with all the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And here we learn that he began permanently indwelling all believers when they're saved, making us a temple of the living God. Here's a picture of the temple and the temple was made to be the place of God's presence. And that big tall building in Herod's temple was called the holy place, which had the most holy place inside of it. And here's one picture of, you know, the inside look. There was a curtain, and you, uh, there was no way in. There was a curtain with no opening. The whole point was, you can't get in here. When Jesus died and rose again, what happened? The curtain was torn from top to bottom, meaning the, the way was open for us to enter into the most holy place. We are now welcome in God's presence, and because the Holy Spirit comes down to abide inside each one of us, we are the place, the earthly place of God's holy, heavenly presence. In 1 Corinthians, that includes both the singular, which means you are a temple of the living God, and the plural. We are, the Spirit is abiding in our congregation, our community, and the church around the world. It is the temple where God is dwelling on earth. This truth should blow your mind. 
when you think about who you are in Christ and who we are in Christ, it's an unfathomable, beautiful reality that's happening here for the first time at Pentecost. So who's the Holy Spirit? He's the third person of the Trinity. And jot this down, he plays a central role in God's plan of salvation. He plays a central role in God's plan of salvation. Jesus spoke a lot about the Holy Spirit like his last day on earth, John 14 to 16. He talked a lot about the Holy Spirit. He speaks of him in great length, but in 14, 17, he says, he is with you and he will be in you. So this is like the the church is born at, at Pentecost because Even when Christ had his followers with him, it it wasn't done yet. The Spirit hadn't been poured out yet like this. So Jesus walked up to his followers after his resurrection. He went like this. He, He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So he was with them, but he would soon be in them, and that is now happening. So the Holy Spirit plays a central role in God's plan of salvation, And in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, it says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And listen, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit is central. What would happen if you subtracted the Holy Spirit from human history? Uh, There would be no sanctification, no salvation, no scripture, and no creation. Now, how would your life be if all of that was subtracted right now? You see how essential it is that we understand the divine presence of the Holy Spirit is what allows for and empowers your entire life physically and spiritually. Jot this down. He empowers God's people as servants and messengers. So, The point of the outpouring is to empower the newborn church as messengers. The disciples were not doing well. All right, They they were slow to listen when Jesus was on earth, frequently bickered about who's the greatest, and then after Jesus died, none of them showed up to watch Easter happen. Okay, They were not doing well. Ready to go and tell the world? Uh, I don't think so. Now the Spirit falls on them and bam, they go out into the streets and they're telling people in all of their languages the mighty works of God. And it's because a power had fallen on them. I showed you this when we kicked off the series, but the idea of power is really important to understand the Holy Spirit. So this is you without the Spirit. Okay, you're not bad, you're dead. It's not that you can only do a few good things, you can do no good things. You're completely powerless to live the life God has for you, to impact the world in an eternal way. You have no power. You've got no power before the Holy Spirit comes into your life. But once he does, watch out. Now there's power to build, to fix, to repair. This is what the Spirit does spiritually to you, but if you don't have it, You're dead. You're spiritually dead. Nothing is going to happen, spiritually speaking. So he empowers God's people as servants and messengers. Here we see the speaking gift of tongues. And I preached a whole sermon on this. If you want to know what we believe about speaking in tongues, it's called um, Under Construction, 1 
1 Corinthians, and uh, it's on our app, but it, when you look at the chapters 12, 13, 14, Paul develops this understanding of speaking in tongues. But what I'll say here is this in this chapter is clearly known languages, and when Paul covers the idea of tongues, he mentions perhaps an unknown language. It's clear when it comes to worship that our convictions are that all speech has to be coherent, means it has to be understood, conscious, the participant can't be out of his mind, and controlled, it has to be self-controlled. So we apply those to worship when it comes to gifts like that, coherent, conscious, controlled. But this sermon's really not about that, so I'm going to stay focused. The point here is that the Holy Spirit equipped these messengers to speak the mighty works of God. Spiritual gifts are something that we cover in step two. If you come to step two at my house next Sunday night, we'll talk more about it. Generally, there are speaking gifts and serving gifts. They're empowered by the Holy Spirit for the good of other people. And a speaking gift here is meant for the uh, apostles to go and tell everyone about the Lord. So preaching, evangelism, apologetics, these are speaking gifts. And then there are serving gifts, like uh, acts of service and helping and, and giving. Uh, there, are, there are so many spiritual gifts, I can't cover them all. But there are speaking gifts and serving gifts. And here we see a speaking gift that's just a sign. It's miraculous. You know a language that you didn't know, and you're going and you're using it to tell people from another part of the world about Jesus. It's really unbelievable. And the Holy Spirit is making it happen. So number one, what is the historical cultural background? Number two, who's the Holy Spirit? He's the third person of the Trinity, plays a central role in God's plan of salvation, empowers God's people as servants and messengers. Number three, what does this prove about Jesus? What does this prove about Jesus? Now this point is going to be really short because the whole sermon next week is Peter preaching about what this has to do about Jesus, okay? So it's kind of a preview. But when Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Spirit, Immediately, we're supposed to realize that's, re that's reminiscent of Genesis, where God breathed life into Adam. Now Jesus is breathing life into his church, which shows us he is the life, and the church is the only place where you will find people who are alive in Christ. I don't mean church as in a building. I mean church as in a community of redeemed people. Jesus breathed life into his church. And let me just ask you this. Have you recognized that Jesus alone has the power to breathe life into you. Jesus alone has the power to create a community of people who have the very life of God poured out and the power of God poured out upon them. That that is the church. And that the whole, wherever we are, the building and the bus and the budget and all, that's not the church in a biblical sense. The biblical sense, it's redeemed people full of God's spirit saved by his grace. That's the church. Have you realized that you need Jesus to breathe life into you and to make you a part of the redeemed community that he's saved from, from this point on. When it comes to the community of the redeemed, yes, it is always throughout the Old Testament and the New by grace that we have been saved through faith. Abraham was justified, why? Because he looked up, believed what God said, and God counted it to him as righteousness. Old Testament and New, you have to be saved by God's grace through faith. And Hebrews makes it clear, long ago at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us through his Son. Do you realize that Jesus is your only hope of accessing God's grace through faith? That only he can breathe life upon you and that his Spirit could come upon you if you trust in him? Wow. 
Do you agree with that? This event proves that Jesus is the Christ. Jot this down. He's the risen Savior. He's the risen Savior. He talked to Nicodemus about all this in John 3. We see the universal need of salvation. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And Jesus said, you must be born again. Nicodemus didn't get it. What am I supposed to do? Mom? Yeah, Nicodemus, we got to do it over. I know, it's crazy. Talk to the Messiah. He said, we got to do it over. I'm coming over. Get dad ready. You got you to gotta give me birth again. <laughs> what, a, what a crazy thought. Nicodemus is like, do I need to be born a second time? Jesus said, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't get this? He's talking about spiritual things. I have to be born by the Spirit. So Jesus is the risen Savior, the Lamb of God, who was slain for the sins of the world. And this proves that he is alive and the only hope of you being saved. Jot this down, and he's building a global kingdom. He's building a global kingdom. He is the Messiah, the one Daniel spoke of, whose kingdom would have no end. He is the one, God made a covenant with David, one of your descendants will be on the throne forever. He's the one, he's the one, he's the one. Israel was wrong to crucify him and kill him and reject him. He is building a global kingdom. Therefore, without Jesus... You can't be a part of the kingdom of heaven. You realize heaven's not just your own little personal paradise that you get to decorate however you want. Oh, the curtains are going to be pink. And the, oh, I've got my decorations all picked out. Heaven's not yours. I'm sorry if no one has ever told you this before, but heaven is not yours. It's his. It's his kingdom. Only he can prepare a place for you. Way better designer than you. Okay. He's going to do a great job. But this idea that somehow heaven is your entitlement for not being as bad as other people in life, heaven is his, not yours. It's his kingdom, not yours. He must prepare a place for you or you can't go. Wow. Do you trust him? He's the risen Savior. He's building a global kingdom. Moving on to point four, jot this down. So how much do I respond? How must I respond? So they're all together. This wind comes, these these tongues of fire spread out on the disciples. The sound was unbelievable. It says in verse 7, they were amazed and astonished. And then in verse 8, they said, "How, how is it that we hear this? And in verse 11, they hear all the mighty works of God. Verse 12, they were amazed and perplexed. What does this mean? What does this mean? Peter goes on to tell them this, but you should be asking yourself the same thing. What does this mean? Maybe you've been waiting for God to prove to you that he's real. Maybe you've been waiting to know how you can have more power and know God's presence on earth. This is it. I love the movie The Incredibles, and there's a point in the movie The Incredibles where nothing really great has happened yet. It's the movie The Incredibles when nothing incredible has happened. Check it out. What are you waiting for? I don't know. Something amazing, I guess. Me too, kid. What are you waiting for? I don't know. Something amazing, I guess. Hey, the world had been waiting for something amazing. And Jesus died and rose again and ascended to heaven. And now the Holy Spirit was poured out in power. And people learned languages they never knew. This is incredible. This is incredible. 
And I just need to talk to those of you who, between you and God, you're just like this right now. Wake up. Wake up. This happened. This is real. It's unbelievable. You can't miss it. How must I respond? Well, jot this down. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. He's the one. He's the one. I don't want you to think about this as if like, wow, something amazing 2,000 years ago took place in some small capital of, you know, of the Roman Empire, and that was really cool. I really want you to understand that that started a chain reaction that is still spreading throughout the world right now. Listen, I want you to, I want you to get this. Right now, that power of the Holy Spirit that was poured out on the earth during this festival, right now that spirit is right here. Right here. And through the word that the Holy Spirit inspired, I'm speaking a spiritual message that is penetrating your heart. The Spirit of God is in me pleading with you to open your eyes. And all around you, there are people who have opened their eyes and been saved, and God's Spirit is in them. But He's not yet in you because you're here with God. I really am pleading with you to see Jesus is the one. This is real. Life is available to you. What more do you need to see? Are you ready? Are you ready to be saved, to repent? Peter will say this next week, and to be baptized so you leave no one guessing where you stand with God, to publicly profess your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you finally fully ready for that? I don't know what more God can do. Wow, has he poured out all the glory of heaven. It's at your fingertips. So repent and be baptized. That's where it starts in the name of Jesus. And then write this down. Don't mock and miss your opportunity. It says in verse 13, but others mocking said, they're filled with new wine. They missed it. They missed it. They missed it. Look at the drunk hillbillies over there. (laughs) Whatever. They missed it. Let me zero in here for a moment, too, on those of you who might be missing it through mocking. Proverbs talks a lot about mocking. Uh, A mocker is someone who isn't just like, well, you know, I don't have enough evidence. A mocker is really decidedly against uh, God, faith in Christ, Christianity, the church, and they, they willingly make fun of it. It's a joke to them. I was a mocker before I got saved. Um, This is God's way of telling you that that is sin that you have to repent of. Uh, if, if, you're a, if you're a mocker, spiritual things are a joke to you. Um, and this is one of the hardest ways to reach someone when someone is a mocker and things are just a joke to them. They, they just laugh it off. They don't even really, you know, seriously consider if it's true. They're, they're not even like genuinely upset about things that they were hoping to see in a church or in God's word. They're just, they're, they're just laughing at it all. And maybe that's you. Maybe to you it's just a joke. It's a big joke. We certainly are. We, we're like cartoons to the world, right? We, we are a big joke to the world, right? You still believe that? You're, you're stuck in the Stone Age? You are that 
dumb, dull, and pathetic. It's like you're, you're like a moonshine full hillbilly, isn't it, to the world. And some people missed heaven poured out on earth because they were like, ha ha. I would just strongly caution you that if you're a mocker, if the things of God are a joke to you, if you've never seriously considered what God is doing, you're going to be condemned. You're going to be condemned. Laughing it off is going to lead to your destruction. I would seriously challenge you to feel the gravity and the weight of the things you are hearing right now while there's still time. Because God has breath in your lungs because you still have a chance. How must I respond? Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. Don't mock and miss your opportunity. He's done incredible things to point you to Jesus. And jot this down. Become a joyful servant and messenger of the gospel. Become a joyful servant and messenger of the gospel, which is what the whole book of Acts is all about. Do you want to feel like your life matters? Do you want to make a difference in this world? Do you want to know that you're a part of God's redemptive plan? Do you want to feel like all the power of heaven is flowing through your veins? Man, become a joyful servant and messenger of the gospel. We're God's temple, his presence on earth. Do you know you can pray for God to fill you with his spirit? You don't get more of him. He indwells you from the moment you are saved. You have all of him, but he can get more of you. Pray that God would fill you with the Spirit. Surrender to work and witness for Him and to walk with Him. Is that what you want? Do you want to be a Spirit-filled servant, expanding the kingdom of Christ to the ends of the earth? We've got to consecrate ourselves to that end. We've got to be full of the Spirit, and we have to deny the worldly desires of the flesh that distract us, discourage, divide, and destroy us. This is what the rest of the book of Acts is all about. And yes, God can and will use you as a vessel for his glory to show other people how they can be saved. If he can use these Galilean country hillbillies, my goodness, he can use us. How must I respond? Repent and be baptized. Don't mock and miss your opportunity and become joyful servants and messengers of the gospel. I want to lead us in a prayer of consecration right now so that we can say, Lord, we are ready to go and change the world by your spirit, which fills us with your power. So let's close our eyes and bow our hearts and let's pray to the Lord to that end right now as a church. Let's pray. Father, based on the wonderful, incredible, unbelievable things that we heard today, we know that your spirit has been poured out like never before into our hearts and into our community, our fellowship. Lord, since we know such things, how can we not invite you to fill us again with the spirit of revival? Oh Lord, I pray that in our church you would fill us with your spirit. Lord, I first pray for those who have never for the first time been saved by grace through faith. They have never turned from their sins and repented received the free gift of eternal life by asking Jesus to be their Savior. Maybe even they've been mocking the things of God to their shame, to their destruction, and they're finally feeling convicted that God is not a joke, church is not a farce, the Bible is not a comic book of myths. Maybe they are feeling 
crushed in their spirit right now because you have been a joke to them. Oh Lord, may they see that that conviction is not meant to condemn but to lead them to life. Right now, may they pray in their own heart, Father, forgive me for mocking such awesome things. Forgive me for disregarding such a great salvation. Jesus, save me and forgive me and fill me with your spirit of life. Jesus, for those of us who've walked with you for perhaps many years, we, as D.L. Moody said, we leak. We seem to lose the power, the presence, the sense of your nearness. We can grieve your spirit through sin. And I just pray that you would fill us once again with your power. Fill us once again, O oh Lord, with potential to boldly share our faith, to serve you with endurance, and, and to know above all that you are with us, comforting us, transforming us through all the seasons of life. Oh Lord, fill us with your spirit. We pray that you would wash away our sins that grieve you and give us new, fresh wind in our sails, fresh light in our eyes, O oh Lord. Open doors that no one can close. Spirit, we pray that you would move in power as you did in Acts 2. We lift all of this up to you, Lord. We, we can't force any of this. All we can do is invite you to move in power. And we do pray that you would again. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.